The Craft Food Classroom is a comprehensive and in-depth five-part online, go-at-your-own-pace course that will provide everything needed to build a thriving food business. Each module includes a video, presentation, workbook, and quiz. This course teaches students exactly what they need to know to succeed in the craft food industry and avoid pitfalls and costly mistakes. Learn more at thecentral.kitchen/classroom and you can use podcast21 at checkout for 10% off anytime. Again, that code is podcast21 for 10% off. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. this episode of the Physical Product Movement Podcast, I get the chance to speak with Ryan Margolin, CEO of Professional Hair Labs, a leading manufacturer and supplier in the hair and cosmetics industry based in Ireland. We have a conversation about their transition from using commands to make their own line of products to then manufacturing those products in-house. They then completed the transition by becoming a contract manufacturer to produce for other brands. Ryan talks about the hidden costs every manufacturer needs to stay on top of, how to finance and bootstrap the expenses of standing up your own production line, and the advantages to brand selecting custom formulations versus private label, and some strategies behind that decision. Coming from a digital marketing background, Ryan also shares some tips as to what's working in terms of marketing and how brands are utilizing social media now to find a market to sell their products to. This was a great conversation applicable to both manufacturers and brands that teaches how to improve your current manufacturing processes, whether you're doing that in-house or using a co-man. His company has had some pretty impressive growth before and through the last few years of COVID, and we appreciate his willingness to share some tips for others looking to do the same. This is a must-listen if you've ever debated whether or not you should bring manufacturing in-house to make your CPG product. I think you'll really enjoy this interview. All right. Hey, Ryan. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm not too bad. Ken, yourself? I am pretty good. Um, good. I, I'm catching you in, in Ireland. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. A small bit of a time difference, but uh, look, I hope it's as sunny over there as it is here today. Well, let's see. It's it's 9.30 here. What time is it there? 9.30 a.m. Uh, here. Yeah. So it's 4, it's 4.30 p.m. here. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, thanks. Thanks for doing this. And, um, you know, we'll get you off on, on your weekend and um, uh, as, soon, as soon as possible. But uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, and I think... Uh, uh, you were telling me about a Jay-Z quote, and I could tell that we were already going to have a, a great conversation. So why don't we, uh, why don't we just kick off with that? Why don't you tell, tell, tell me a little bit about this quote that, um, that inspires you? Yeah, look, I, it's from uh, one of his songs called uh, The Blueprint. And um, the quote is, uh, you know, I will not lose even in defeat. There's a valuable lesson learned, so it evens it up for me. So I think it's a great, it's a great lyric, uh, 
mainly because it, it just shows, you know, the strength in, in, in the, I suppose, your mindset and, and how you can choose to view losses. Um, you know, you can choose to view them negatively or you can choose to you know, view them as an opportunity, you know, for success or to succeed. Uh, so I, I just say it's one of the quotes that has always stuck with me. And, um, you know, I, I, it always hits the back of my head every time we run into a challenge that is difficult to solve or we may not be solving at all. I just know that there's an opportunity within that. So we, we you know, we analyze it and uh, figure out what the issue is and we try to solve it. If not, we move on. Yeah, that's awesome. No, and, and uh, I'm a Jay-Z fan myself and, and uh, uh, I, I think that, that that quote is 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 amazing. I mean, I mean, it's almost like um, you almost have to do yeah. that. That's like, you know, it, it, let's say that you, you, you lose something, you lose a big deal or have a setback. You know, it's almost like the only thing you can do is, okay, let's, let's salvage like at least some learnings from this and get stronger, um, figure out how not to make some of the same mistakes, you know? Um, I'm interested in your opinion on this is, you know, I've also experienced where it's like, you can learn a lot from actually your wins, right? Like from, from winning. Um, for instance, when I was younger, a teenager, I, I played on a really good soccer team and, um, and we ended up uh, winning a lot. And it was just, you know, we had the season where it's like no losses, but I, but I can look back and I could say that that's actually one of the seasons like we're on the teams in which I got the best, like I got, you know, it grew a, a lot, you know, um, you know, so everybody always talks about like, you know, learning from, from losses, but I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are about learning from wins as well. Yeah. For, well, for us, I, I think consistently winning kind of amplifies the personalities of the people around you. Um, you know, it's funny because winning can actually bring out, you know, complacency in people. Mm-hmm. Or it can bring out an insatiable hunger to continue to win. And I think, you know, look, I, I think there's a very fine line between the two. Um, you know, look, at, and, I, and I think it all comes down to, you know, keeping your ego in check. Uh, we all have egos. Um, it's about recognizing that and, you know, recognizing the need to, uh, you know, nurture that part of your personality because, let's face it, it is one of the parts that motivates you. Um, but realistically, from from you know a winning perspective, uh, I, I I genuinely think you know you, you do learn a lot of a lot about the people around you during during that time. Uh, naturally, yeah. you also do learn about the environment that you're in from a perspective of what works. Uh, because you know, look, those wins would have not happened had you not had some losses before it to figure out what you may have been doing wrong. So exactly, yeah, there's a balance, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And even, um, you know, I have, I have a coach who um, would, would get very kind of um, specific and um, had pretty high standards. And, um, and so even in the wins, there were areas in which you could improve, right? There are things within that that you can analyze and find where you made some mistakes and, and where you can get even better, you know? And so it's almost the same process, right? Like, like when you lose, of course, you look for the mistakes and areas in which you can correct and, 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 and improve, but you do that. You can do the same thing with your wins. Of course you can. I mean, yeah. look, there, you're never going to be sitting in a space where you're done or it's perfect because in my eyes, it just simply doesn't exist. Uh, there's always ways to be better and improve things, whether it's processes, whether it's performance, whatever it is, um, if the job is never done. Right, right. So, Ryan, um, me and you could probably sit around talking about Jay Z all day long and and uh, inspiring quotes. <laughs> um, but why don't we uh, why don't we jump right into a little bit about your background? Um, 
where where you're from, how you ended up in, in Ireland, or maybe that's where you're from. Uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I, I was born in New Jersey in the U.S. and uh, lived there for a very short period of time. Uh, most of my younger life was in Florida uh, up until about the time where I was 14. And my mother's Irish and my dad is from New York. So when I was 14, um, we moved to to Ireland and, and I finished school there. So uh, after I finished school, I did a little bit of traveling, um, different parts of the world. I was in you know the U.S. for a little while again. And um, I came back to Ireland then. So in, you know, kind of 2008, 2009, when, you know, the big economic crash was coming, um, there, an opportunity had arose um, where I was uh, able to uh, connect with my dad's company at the time. And uh, we were able to take a look at, you know, how it was performing and, you know, where we could go with it. Um, so I spent probably the first six months learning about the business. And um, we were able to figure out some really simple but key things we could change to improve it. I mean, my dad and his company had uh, this product line that, that was essentially had the potential to revolutionize the, the hair replacement industry. And he had this core product offering that was mm-hmm. doing the job. But at the time, um, the, I suppose the ingredient technology um, was non-existent. Uh, so the synergy lined up quite well when it did become possible where we could get, you know, water and, and sweat resistant properties inside of the uh, bonding adhesives that we were supplying to hair studios and hair salons. So in 2009, I changed some really simple things and we relaunched um, the, the, the product. Uh, it literally just turned the hair replacement industry on its head. Um, and we were able to, within 18 months, triple revenue. Wow. Um, at that point, then we realized, okay, look, we validated the product. Um, I wanted to move back to Europe at the time. And um, we decided we would invest some money in opening up a European branch. And from that point, then, uh, it just kind of year on year started to, to grow. And um, about five or six years ago, uh, we had hit this point in the market where uh, we had started to experience exponential growth because the product was not only very high performing, but it was actually the safest alternative to what has predominantly always been on the market. So, um, you know, since then, we've been growing very strong year on year uh, in, in, inside of the, the hair and beauty industry. And that kind of led us then to realize we could apply those same methods and you know principles to uh, other cosmetics. So we transitioned the company from, you know, being simply a company that operates in the non-surgical hair replacement space to operating in a deeper space of cosmetics where we can do hair care, skin care, body care, you name it. You know, we have the ability to formulate it in-house and manufacture. So the company looks a lot different now than it did, you know, even 10 years ago. And, you know, that, that kind of, you know, brings me to the point that, you know, you always have to be looking to, you know, where you're going and what that evolution is going to look like because markets change and markets mature. And if you're not staying ahead of that, um, you're, you know, you're, you're going to start to drop off the cliff and and that's simply what we don't want to happen. So it's been a really interesting journey up to this point. Um, You know, most of my background over the years that I've worked has, has been either in sales or marketing. Uh, And it's, you know, it's, it's really helped, um, you know, drive some of what we do. Uh, along with the team, because, you know, look, we have a really, really good team uh, in-house at the moment that really know 
what our goals are and they know exactly what they need to do to hit them. So uh, it's not to say we don't face challenges along the way, but it's, um, you know, we win more than we lose now at this point. And uh, to me, that that's, that, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's great. Um, so professional hair labs is the name of your company. Um, you know, I noticed your tagline is world leader in cosmetic bonding. What, what's the bonding? What, what does that mean? So cosmetic bonding is a, is an application process for individuals who have lost their hair through hereditary means, or, you know, let's say health issues such as cancer and whatnot, and they go through chemo and actually lose their hair. So, um, you know, hair is quite an intimate thing. It doesn't bother some people when they lose it, but, you know, for a high percentage of individuals globally, it's a big issue. Uh, So they choose either wear wigs or hair pieces. And our product is a uh, skin applied product that will let the uh, wig or the hair unit be attached to the scalp and over a period of four weeks uh, stay in place. Um, you know, and it looks just as natural as you had real hair. So, uh, you know, th- these type of products weren't always available predominantly over the last 40 years. Uh, there was a collective of certain products that were used and they contain harmful ingredients such as, you know, toluene, xylene, hexane, uh, which are all derivatives of gasoline. And because our industry was so small at the time, uh, the FDA chose not to monitor it or govern it. So the manufacturers got away with literally murder. And, uh, you know, look, it's we brought a safer alternative and a safer solution to the marketplace. And, and once people started to realize it was available and, you know, exactly what they could do with it, uh, it became... Uh, you know, it became a product that just simply showed people there's a different way to do things. Okay. Got it. And so is that what your, your dad was selling as well? Is is it that same? Okay. It was the same product type. Yes, absolutely. Now it's obviously it's evolved since then, you know, there's been different adhesives, different performance features. Um, You know, we're now at a point now where we can start to, um, you know, we can start to play with, with, with the formula because we know the base formulation is so solid. So we're finding new ways of application and, 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 you know, safety appliances for it. Okay. That's great. Um, And it sounds like, like you've, you've primarily had a marketing and and sales uh, related role. Is that right? Yeah. For many years. Yeah. I did in the company. Uh, When I first joined it, it was more so, um, it, it wasn't really much of anything. It kind of fell into a, a marketing role more so than a sales role. But, you know, when, when we opened our EU location, our European location to distribute globally, um, mm-hmm. I took on a sales role because it, it was just me at the time. So uh, we yeah. started, you know, build and grow and build the team out. But yeah, that, that would have been my, my role, sales and marketing. Okay, got it. And so I guess there's, there's a lot of different uh, directions uh, we could take this. But, you know, one of the, the things I wanted to just ask about is, is some of these transition points. Um, so, first of all, uh, had you guys always manufactured um, in-house or is that something that you uh, capability that you later developed? That, that came later. Um, there were there were our formulas. Um, but obviously okay. we didn't have the resources or the equipment to manufacture. So we, we outsourced it to contract manufacturers for to do it for us. Sure. Uh, so what was the, what was the thinking behind, behind that change? Right. Um, there, there are people listening right now, right. Who are using a co-man for, you know, for one of their products and, and um, often the difficulty is kind of deciding whether or not to bring that in house, you know, particularly with all the supply chain issues that we've been facing the last few years. You know, people yep. just want more control. And so this is a conversation that's coming up more and more. It is. And it was probably one of the main drivers as to why we made the decision to do it. Because um, naturally, 
you know, cosmetic manufacturers, you'll find some really good ones, but then you'll find some really average ones as well. And when you get an average uh, manufacturer, um, you get inconsistencies in batches, longer lead times, substitution of ingredients without, you know, making the customer knowledgeable about the change. So ultimately the customer that's using the product at the very end notices the change. All of these, uh, all of these changes are completely out of the control of the company that's supplying the product. So by bringing it in house and taking control of that, it comes with its own set of challenges and new and right. new challenges, but ultimately, you know, the products that are going out the door every single time are consistent and the way they should be. Uh, so that was one of the main motivators for us. Now you're hundred percent right. Yeah. Uh, one of the other reasons that I hear a lot about is, is uh, actually to, to your point about innovating on the product, you know, and, 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 um, being able to, to do that with, with more control and with more speed. Did you guys find that that was the case for you guys? Oh, hundred percent. You know, you know, once we, you know, once we set the foundations, um, and we got them right. We we were able to take you know a, a three month lead time down to a, you know a one week lead time for us. You know, so you know there was never a point where we would run out or we would place the order. You know, say with a contract manufacturer in the the allocated time frame and still not receive the product. That that whole issue was gone for us immediately. Um, we had control over the raw materials then. So the worst case scenario for us was that if you know. A material, an ingredient supplier was backed up by like say four to six weeks, and we had to extend the time frame. Uh, we were still well within the time frames of getting that ingredient in house. Yeah. So one of the challenges that we that we hear about is is just the expense of of buying you know any equipment, um, you know, leasing a building, uh, hiring mm-hmm. employees, buying all the raw materials, um, you know, beforehand. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys experienced that. How did you think about the financing aspect of, of you know, standing up a manufacturing uh, company? Yes. So we're very good with our numbers in terms of um, how we run our processes. Like, you know, we run our lean systems very well. We know our manufacturing costs. We know our running costs. We know our output costs. Um, we know our overheads very intimately. Uh, we haven't financed a single part of our company growth with any external company. Everything has been done from profits of the company. So we've been fortunate enough that we've been in a position to uh, experience uh, a, a substantial growth curve. And naturally, rather than you know doing what shareholders or directors normally do and extract all the money, we pumped it right back into the business because we knew ultimately long-term, the market we were in was going to mature and what we were doing wasn't going to be as niche as it was when we started it. Um, and naturally that just led us to make the decision to invest most of what we make back into the company to set ourselves for the next phase of the journey. And so how did that, how did that first, you know, uh, I guess, okay, the decision, you made the decision to, to start manufacturing, um, in-house, um, uh, you know, so how did, how did that look? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you, you leased a place or, or maybe you, you started manufacturing in the office that you were already in. How, how did that whole journey look? To get it yeah, done? we started we started in, in the location we were already in. Um, so we a few years ago, we acquired a 10,000 square foot building. And um, very quickly then once we once. Well, actually, it wasn't too long after that, you know, 
COVID came along. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that brought its own set of challenges uh, because we weren't deemed an essential service. So we had we were facing shutting our doors. So we pivoted into the manufacturing of hand sanitizer to make sure we could supply, uh, you know, a, a very um, important product to the marketplace because there was a shortage at the time. So that helped us keep our plans on track. Uh, so we started in the building that, that we that, that, that we initially purchased. Uh, since then, we've acquired another building, which is taking our manufacturing um, square footage from 10,000 to 50,000, uh, where we're, we're due to be opening that by the end of the year. So right now, it's just about strategically placing the key pieces of equipment in the building we have to you know, make sure we're, we're, we're meeting our customers' demands. Um, you know, again, that whole learning curve of moving into that space with the regulations and the compliance and the, you know, the ISO certs that are commonly asked for and required by companies doing business in Europe and globally, um, that that brought its own set of challenges because, you know, look, we didn't have the experience in house. So in some cases we hired people to, you know, to, to join the team that were knowledgeable in that. In other cases we outsourced to consultants. So we were able to, you know, we were able to speed up that process quite substantially. I mean, we're at the point now where, you know, we pretty much have majority of global regulations um, checked for us. So there's not a place in the world really that we can't send product at the moment. And uh, was this manufacturer, um, was this in Florida or was this in um, in Ireland? Uh, this was in Ireland. So our company, so we have a, we have a collective of companies that, that are part of the group and um, our principal manufacturing facility is in Ireland. And we chose to do that for two reasons. Uh, the first one was typically uh, European regulations are much stricter. So they're held to a higher uh, standard than the U.S. Uh, so we formulate everything that we do with the EU regulations in mind. And that was predominantly one of the drivers that made us kind of choose Ireland as, as the principal manufacturer. So we do all of our custom formulation here. Uh, we do all of our, uh, we do all of our ingredient sourcing here. Um, we do some of our manufacturing here. Uh, some, some of it is still done in the States, but um, majority of it is done in Ireland. Um, and, and it's, and it's also helped us because, you know, look, the, the, the Irish government um, heavily support, you know, us based companies that, are uh, heavily involved in research and development on any level. So uh, they, they, they've been great in, in helping us navigate some of those waters too. Did you know that before you started about the, the Irish government? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's, it's commonly known, you know, look, Ireland is a great place to do business. Um, you know, look, they have a low corporation tax. Uh, in most cases, it's it's over ten percent less than what's in the United States as well. So, naturally, there's a there's a corporation tax saving which can be further reinvested. Um, there's R and D credits, you know, in Ireland that 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 are given by uh, by the government against your corporation tax bill as well. Uh, so, you know, anything that you develop from scratch uh, that that's uh, innovative. Uh, they will give you certain credits back towards the, you know, the uh, corporation tax bill at the end of each uh, financial year. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a couple of points, you know, a lot of governments actually are, are trying to foster sort of similar initiatives. Right. Um, and, it, and, you know, with a little bit of research, I think people can find, you know, these types of tax credits and, um, you know, even in some, some cases there are different grants um, to, yeah get into the, the manufacturing or research, you know, uh, type, type industries, um, yeah. especially, you know, I think that that's actually gained, um, gained momentum, you know, through COVID. Yeah. Of is, course. Is that, 
is that a lot of people are realizing kind of the importance of, of manufacturing close to home, you know, and, and that being a part of, of their local economy. Of course. And, and that, that comes down to a lot of the local enterprise, you know, boards or uh, committees, um, you know, really yeah. the, the focus, the focus starts on the ground level. Uh, and then as you obviously as your, your company grows and you become out of scope of the local um, scope, uh, you move into more of the national and, and then, you know, there's, there's further supports and grants and help. Um, it, it's really, it's, it's truly a great thing because, you know, look, there's companies that can do it on their own. And then there's companies that, that also, you know, can do it on their own, but could do it 10 times faster with the support. And really what, what they, you know, what these governing bodies really want to focus on is employment levels. So um, if you show that you're growing and you're moving in the right direction and that you're employing key, um, you know, key uh, positions for, for companies, um, they're very interested in seeing what they can do to assist you in any way, because, you know, ultimately, that's why a lot of the big U.S. corporations look to Ireland, to, you know, to open their 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 European hubs or even their global hubs, because um, there's just so many benefits of doing business in Ireland. It's it, it's quite impressive. Yeah, yeah, got it. Yeah, I, you know, so I, I want to just double click a little bit on the the you know the finance um, issue. It's probably one of the big reasons I think a lot of people don't go into manufacturing. You know that, and then probably just lack of expertise, feeling very um, um, intimidated by the process. But just just back to the, the financing piece, I mean, let's assume that that maybe uh, you didn't have the funds, you know, in-house to do this, you know, um, obviously you can go get, well, a lot of people can get a loan, um, that kind of thing. But um, one of the things that I've seen work as I've worked with different manufacturers is actually like um, not setting up your ideal process immediately, right? Like take it step by step. Um, maybe don't buy, you know, the big, um, you know, uh, uh, don't automated buy the big production. Yeah. Automated yeah. line immediately start just much more simple. And then mm-hmm. what you can do is as, as that works, you can reinvest those funds. Um, have you seen that? And, and maybe that's actually similar to the path that you actually took. Yeah, it, it is actually some of the path that we actually took. I mean, naturally, you know, people love the idea of having, you know, big and bold and, you know, this amazing latest cutting edge piece of technology that can do everything from A to Z in two minutes. Um, that's amazing. It is. And you know what, when you get to a point of scale, it's necessity, mm-hmm. but realistically, when you look at any type of manufacturing, the key question you have to ask getting started is with a little bit more effort and a little bit more labor, can I put this together with really simple machinery? And usually the answer is yes, there's always a different way to do things. And really the key is, is how, like, how little do you have, when you're first starting, how little do you have to spend to get the output, you know, the product finished in your hands, ready to sell. And then the next question comes, okay, depending on how much time this takes, realistically, how many of these are, am I able to make and sell per day? Um, if those numbers, you know, align, uh, you'll be doing pretty well. And I think that's always the great way to start. I mean, look, we, we started with a really, you know, small, simple machine, um, and you know, we, we kind of built from there. I, I think our first machine investment was somewhere around like, I think it was less than $10,000, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, you do what you have to do to get the output and then, you know, the rest will come if you, you know, have good processes behind that, you know, if you have good marketing and good sales and people love the journey, 
they, they, they love to see it. They love to connect with it. So, you know, if you're sharing a lot of that content on social media, um, you know, people buy into that because they, they, they realize then is that, you know, you can be this massive company, but it all starts somewhere. And, you know, usually it starts in a, in a single room, or a small, you know, little warehouse, you know, so it's, you know, there's so many different ways you, you, you can achieve what you want to achieve. But ultimately, if you if, if you're looking at the financing route, the real question is, you know, how little do I have to finance to really get the output of that I need from product we're making and then take it from there. Right. And then and then the other way that I've seen this, this work out, too, is that um, you end up getting a PO from a customer who maybe um, needs, you know, it's, it's kind of pushing on your capabilities, right? Like, um, yeah. Uh, they they need you to produce at a scale that maybe you're not at quite yet, but yeah. um, it, you can structure the, the deals in 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 wh- where you can actually um, buy or build the the capability, you know, yeah. off of some of those purchase orders uh, from from these these customers. Exactly, and I think it's a, when you hit it when you hit a point like that, it becomes about negotiation, and this is where you know you as the business owner have to be a little bit clever about how you approach it you know um Mm -hmm. you know ultimately you can hit the target but you just might not be able to hit the target as quickly as you can or as they need it so there are there are key ways you can look at it you know to make sure that you either do it in phases and you can get you know deposits uh paid up front to ensure you you know can acquire whatever it is you need whether it's more ingredients whether it's uh machinery um you know there are there are key ways that 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 you can see you structure the deal to um to, to make sure that it's a win-win all around uh, because usually, you know, if your overheads are not too, too high, um, you can be quite competitive with, with, with your pricing. Um, but then on the flip side where you get caught is if you don't have the, the buying power to buy, you know, large amounts of ingredients, you're not getting the best price that you can. So really, you know, you have to, you have to really ask yourself, when you're building, you know, when, when, when you take on a purchase order from, from a client that might be, you know, pushing, as you said, the, the, the limits of what you can produce, um, you really need to, you know, to be asking yourself, you know, is, you know, are you, you know, are you going to be able to effectively service this client? Because, you know, if, if you can't, then you end up, you know, you end up taking on something that ultimately is, is just going to cripple you, you know, and you won't be able to follow through on your promises. And usually that just ends up in an absolute disaster because you end up missing timelines uh, those timelines can push on with the supplier to where if they're not getting what they paid for, um, they will end up, you know, taking legal action against you. There's a whole slew of different challenges that come. Like people look at the, you know, the, the purchase order and the value and they're like, oh my God, this this is amazing. I need this. Um, but mm-hmm. there, you, you have to be just a little bit more clever about how you approach it, especially if that PO is pushing your your output capacity. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and the downside also of, of, uh, of missing these timelines, sometimes there's penalties involved. Sometimes you have to offer discounts. And so you're just eating away at any profit um, that, yeah. that you would have, that you would have taken. Um, yeah. And it, it is about building a relationship though, as well. You know, it's like, look, if you knew, if you knew that this, this particular customer could commit to X amount per year mm-hmm. um, and you know, you knew you didn't, you know, you, 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 in some cases would actually you know, run those first couple of orders at zero profit to make sure that number one, that you are able to acquire the equipment that you need. Mm-hmm. And number two, you're able to extend the resources of your output, you know? So, um, you know, look, I'm pretty sure, you know, there's been cases where, 
you're looking at, you know, a number such as maybe a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars over the space of a year, which in terms of cosmetics is small numbers. Um, but you know, if you're just starting, that's a huge number. So it's really about, you know, are you willing to take the the hit on the profitability to sometimes be zero, uh, just so you could get what you need to move into the next phase? You know, it's a, there's a lot of grinding when it comes to building that 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 initial phase of of, of a cosmetics company. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, one of the, the things that I've noticed is um, is the, the process of setting up a manufacturing company it actually kind of mirrors uh, something that you see in um, in like uh, coding and, um, you know, like software engineering. You know, it, it's almost like that first that first manufacturing um, facility that you set up or that first sort of production line that you set up is sort of like your minimum viable production line. Right. Um, it's yeah. kind of another way to look at it. Um, in software engineering, you always talk about the minimum viable product, the MVP. You know, it's just what is the basic amount of functionality you can get out uh, just yes. to get, get the ball rolling. And then it's like, then it's the process is actually very iterative. You know, it looks a lot like software engineering. You continue to improve, 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 improve until you actually end up with a pretty, pretty decent product, you know? And in, in this case, it's, it would be the production line where it's like, you know, it may look pretty, pretty rough <laughs> that first, you know, that first few months, that first year. But if, as you continue to iterate on it, I mean, you can end up with a pretty, you know, pretty slick production line um, where you're doing you, a huge number. Yeah, because you, you, you either do one of two things, you build out on it or you improve the mechanics of it. You know, look mm-hmm. at again like software, you know, it's like you, you program it and you write different la- or, you know, different, I'm sure there's different ways to write, you know, the language that you're, you're programming in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's much like the, you know, the, the mechanics of a, of a filling line. It's like, you might be using different pistons or different valves or different filling heads, different nozzles. Um, you know, that there's, there's better ways to upgrade the machine or add on to it to improve it. So you're, you're, you're hundred percent correct there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's power in, in, in looking at these things as iterative, you know, a lot of times yeah. entering like a, you know, so just speaking from the world of software, you know, you enter a really competitive market and you look at, you know, some of the incumbents and you think, wow, you know, their product is so slick. They've been around for so long. Um, yeah. But, you know, you also need to realize that they did the same thing, right? When they first started, they did not look the way they look now. And it was just, you know, effort over a number of years that led them to the product that they have now. You know, and I think yeah. a lot of people look at manufacturing that exact same way. Yeah, I, you'd like to hope so, you know, because typically, you know, you look at it, you know, you look at a mature product where there's been many years of development and testing behind it. And people look at that and think that's that's what they have to achieve straight off the bat. And there becomes this whole thing of overwhelm and then it just stops them from moving forward. So right. um, the, the, the key is it is starting as simple as possible with, you know, the functionality that you absolutely need and only what you need and then building upon that. Yeah. So one of the things that surprised me about this, this entire space was that um, there's a huge network of consultants that, that are available to, to help um, people that are doing this kind of thing. Um, when you kind of look at your journey, is there any particular sort of area of consultation that you felt was, was really um, helpful and was kind of an unlock for you guys? Yeah, for us, it was just simply the lean process, the lean manufacturing process, making sure that we were able to, you know, effectively record our, our processes and our workflows and know at every stage what they're, you know, what they're costing us, you know. So without that, um, you do two things. You, number one, incorrectly price products. 
which ultimately, if you get that wrong, you're in trouble. Um, and number two, it gives you it just it gives you a better understanding of you know exactly what you need to reinvest to uh, you know move into your next phase of growth. Because essentially, what you're doing in, mo- in the most part when you're you're expanding a production line is you're replicating the systems you already have uh, twice. And then you're looking for any you know interchangeable parts of the process that you can pull out and place in what you need. So sometimes it's an extension. It's just more product you need outputted. So you just need more machinery. But sometimes mm-hmm. it's a new product that requires a different type of machinery. But you can still apply the same lean manufacturing processes to that to that line. So um, yeah, that like I think for 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 you know myself, my opinion would be you know know your numbers uh, on your manufacturing, and once you do that. That, uh, you're in a very good space. And so, yeah, let's let's double click on that a little bit. You know, knowing your numbers, are there any particular numbers that you think every manufacturer, you know, should know and yeah. should really invest in being able to know at all times? Yeah, well, obviously, you need to know from from the production line. You know, how many people. Uh, are needed for that particular machine. Uh, so what is that cost on a daily basis and a monthly basis? Uh, secondly, you need to know the amount of electricity that the, um, that the, that the machines consume. Uh, so that helps you work out your costs. Uh, you also need to know, like typically it's good to have an ERP system connected to the, um, to the, uh, to the filling line because that will allow you then to monitor the downtime of the machine because obviously that has to be built into, you know, to the running costs. Like there are some really, you know, key variables that, that you really need to be focusing on because all like you, you can order in a ton of ingredients and you know what they cost per, you know, per pound per kilo, whatever we want to look at it, but realistically the hidden costs that, that get you, you know, uh, especially when you start to max out your resources, you, you've given a price uh, on a product, and, you know, you know what the, the product is costing you from a perspective of, you know, per pound or per kg. But if you don't know what numbers it takes to run those off, then you're, go- you're not going to be able to effectively, number one, be competitive in pricing. And you're not, you're not going to be able to, uh, to make any profit off it, which ultimately, you know, the company needs to make profit. It's, uh, you know, of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting from a manufacturing, you know, and, and especially contract manufacturing, you know, those costs are really, really important, even just to be able to win the deals, right? You need to be able yeah. to to accurately quote very quickly, but then also yeah. make sure that, that you, you know, you're not burying yourself by accepting a deal that you're ultimately losing a bunch of money yeah. on, you know? Um, and, and that's the important part about what we do, though, is that, you know, look, we build out catalogs of different products. So at every point, we know before they even get launched into the catalog, we know what those numbers are. So if someone comes to us and says, listen, I'm looking for a face cream. It's like, all right, well, look, this is the actual cost per kg. Um, this is the minimum quantity for this run for this type of product that we need. And uh, we can help you out with, you know, the, you know, with the labeling, uh, with the design, with whatever you need. Um, we can help with all of that in-house so it's made quite simple uh but the key to all of that is is knowing your numbers because you know you're competitive but you also know that you're not going to get caught on 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 your output or your resources so let's uh yeah let's let's double click on that just one more time um the hidden costs are there any um, hidden costs that you found in your process that were surprising um that 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 led to you know, once you once you were able to to factor those in, it really kind of improved the way your numbers looked or improved your process. It was the downtime for the machinery. 
Um, you know, look, I mean, we, we have targeted outputs that we know each day that we want certain machines to hit. Um, but sometimes, you know, a part would break, a valve would blow, um, something would go wrong with the machine. But for us, the hidden cost was the downtime. We weren't really factoring that or calculating that in. And some days we would fall short. But realistically, if you add that up over the space of a month, you know, you, you know that, that, that could end up to, you know, tens of thousands of, 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 of dollars or euros, you know, if, 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 if a machine is down for say five, six hours, you know, it's, um, yeah, that, that was one of the big hidden costs that we weren't calculating for, for some time that when we realized the impact of it, um, you know, very quickly, we, we, we made those changes and that's why, you know, we have uh, software that can help us um, calculate that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good one. Um, any, any other ones that come to mind? Any other hidden costs? Uh, no, hidden costs that, that, that come to mind would, you know, would be some, another one would be, so if you've got, if you've got a production overflow where you, you know, you get an order where sometimes a resource and a machine is maxed out, obviously there's some manual labor that you have there. Um, you know, sometimes you're not really planning, you're not really planning for an overage on the machines. Mm-hmm. So try to avoid manual filling at all costs. But sometimes when something does overflow, uh, typically those, those are hidden costs not built into the, um, into the KG price or the, the pound price. So um, you do get caught there from time to time, depending on you know, the orders or if a machine is down for a particular time and runs and it gets backed up for too long. Uh, it takes you a few more hours to pull out of that deficit. So that, that, that's another hidden cost that you need to be mindful of. Sure, yeah. Um, so switching gears just a little bit, there's, there's the, um, you know, you guys focus, you know, it looks like on, on, um, looks like you do some custom stuff, but if I'm, if I'm reading correctly, majority of your, your sales are like white labeling your existing products. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I, I'd say majority, majority of our sales with actually, no, there's a fair, there's a healthy split between, you know, um, custom formulations, uh, and private labeling, you know, it's, uh, okay. like okay. We private label and custom manufacture or custom formulate for quite a few companies. And, um, you know, look, it's like our most popular product would obviously be, you know, our adhesive lines in terms of our own branded product. But we manufacture so many different other types of products for, for quite a few companies. And, uh, look, realistically, I'd say it's, you know, it, it's, it wouldn't be far off a 50 50 split, you know? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that. So, um, w- one of the things that, you know, when I came into this industry, I, I actually didn't know about this whole, you know, private label, um, option, you know, um, yeah. uh, I ended up lo- launching like a, a nutraceutical product. Um, it was like a okay. supplement, uh, a pill, like a energy sort of adrenal fatigue type pill. Um, and when I was looking at doing that, I, I thought I had to like hire, you know, uh, somebody to to do the formulation to you know basically do it from scratch and then you know actually looking into it a couple of years later found out that wow there's this entire world of of you know white label or private label you know where manufacturers like yourself have products ready to go um and yeah you can get your get your label put on it yeah and look and, and that's a, it's the same with ourselves you know we have our branded products that you know we offer the service someone can come in and say listen i like this product can i just put my label on this like absolutely so um it, it takes a lot of the uh the process out of launching a product as well you already have a tried and tested solution there that you can just put your branding on and then 
you know, go to market. So uh, it, it's, it's a really effective way to start your own brand. Um, you know, look, I, I suppose then sometimes where, where, where you get caught is that if you need certain performance features, uh, changing those formulations become a challenge, which is why I, I always, you know, say to customers of ours is that, you know, look, if you feel that, you know, after they test, if you feel like you're going to want any function or performance from this, we, we should really be looking at a custom formula because, you know, then you enter into a different side of our processes. You know, if it's private label, it's literally account application approved into our online store and you can order the private label products. Whereas, you know, if it's a custom formula, you know, there's you know, direct points of contact, um, you know, there, there's, there's much more... Um, involvement in in the process even from you know even from the ordering uh side of things so you you get a much more tailored service because it it needs to be that right right yeah so maybe we can just double click a, a little bit on the the um you know the pluses and minuses of both of both options right and yeah. uh in, in my career i've done a little bit of both you know and there are different reasons for it but you know why would somebody you know choose choose uh, private label um, over custom formulation and, and vice versa? Uh, one would be the expense. Um, look, I mean, obviously it takes time and, and resource to custom formulate because you've got to go through the whole process of, um, you know, building a formula, uh, manufacturing a development sample, uh, doing the challenge and stability testing that which take, you know, weeks and months sometimes, uh-huh. uh, there's, there's a cost involved to it. Whereas with private label, it's like, Hey, I like that product. I know it's already ready for market. I want to buy it, put my label on it and go. So there's a, there's a time, there's a, there's a time difference there. Private label, you could get to market within a matter of a week, uh, between ordering, receiving, and then getting it up on your own site. Whereas, um, with with custom formula, you know, you, you're looking, depending on what you choose, um, you could choose a base formulation that we have, and it usually brings down the, um, the time to about four to six weeks. But if you're looking at full custom formula, it's about 12 weeks, the processes that can even push to 16, depending on what type of product it is. So there is a time difference, there's a cost difference. Um, but I, on, the, on the, the plus side from the custom formula, um, you get exactly what you're looking for, um, you know, with nothing left unturned, uh, there's, you know, full access to the lab team that, um, can essentially do whatever is needed. And, uh, if you have a thought that you wanted to, you know, if you have a function you wanted to produce, um, it can be done. It just, you know, look, it just takes time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and one of the things that, that comes to mind is, is even just, the the uh, differentiation in the market, right? So if you have a specific ingredient that you want to inc- include or specific formula you have in mind, you know, for some, for some functional properties, um, you know, just being able to say that you're, you know, the, the only one in the market with that ingredient or, you know, you've got a, yeah. a unique formulation, um, you know, that can help you on the marketing side and sales side. Of course. Look, I mean, you know, the, the USP of the product is, is vitally important. I mean, why, why would somebody pick your product off the shelf over, you know, the, the competitor sitting next to you? You know, there's, when you custom formulate, you're able to differentiate your product very well. I mean, naturally with our own product line, we always aim to do that with every single formula we put out. There are key differences, but when somebody private labels, you know, it, they're not their key differences. They're, you know, there are key differences that if you, you know, if you look at somebody, you know, if you, if you look at our product and look at their product, it's going to have pretty much the same performance functions, you know? So, uh, somebody was inclined to, you know, do some research, they'd see that, but, you know, look, it's, 
again, it really just comes down to what you want for your business. You know, um, we even have some accounts that do, you know, the hybrid model, you know, they, they, they private label some of our stuff and they uh, custom formulate others, you know, um, for ideas that they have. So there, there's, look, there's, there's plenty of ways to, you know, to, you know, to, to, to get the result you want for your business, but it just depends on really what you are looking for. Right. And, and some of the, the strategies that I've seen seen work is, you know, you private label maybe the, the first version of the product just to be able to test the market and see if you can actually, yeah. um, you know, make the sales hit, hit those numbers. Um, yeah. but then you, you know, you release like a V2 or an improved formula where, where you might custom customize it, um, yeah. you know, for the benefits of that. Yeah, you're you're 100 right. I mean, you know, we have a couple of you know of our accounts who did exactly that. You know, they private labeled a, a couple of our products at the very beginning, and you know, they they started to custom formulate with us then, and they built a phenomenal brand uh, for themselves. Um, and it, and it's you know they 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 penetrated the market very well that they were looking to do. So it like it is it is possible. You know, it's just I think the key is is try not to get too caught up in the uh, all the intricacies of it. You know, if you if you have an idea. And you, you know, you want to get launched as quickly as possible, you know, look for that private label option, look for the product that best suits it, but um, do always choose to work with somebody who, you know, I believe can custom formulate because you'll get the best out of the, you know, out of your business, out of your brand, and you'll have a team there to support you for the things that you don't really need to be thinking about building your business. You, you, you want to be able to just grow and, and not think about all the, you know, the compliance issues or the, or the, um, you know, the different ingredients that need to be put together to make the, you know, the function or the feature that you want in the product. So uh, there's a lot to be said for it. Yeah. And, and, and obviously just kind of a final note on this is, is, you know, as you private label versus custom formulate, I mean, it, it, it definitely affects the minimum order quantities um, at least with most manufacturers that I've worked with. Um, and so that that's that's also just a, a factor to to take in when when trying to decide which which version to do, right? Um, oh, absolutely. Look, I mean, private label naturally requires less of a MQO than than custom formula, you know. So, um, you know, like even for us, we're extremely flexible. You want to come in and order one bottle, go for it. You know, that if that's what you want to do, that's that's your choice. We we can cater for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to order a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand, we can do that too. And if you want to, you know, custom formulate, you need you know twenty thousand, forty thousand, hundred thousand units. Let's do it. You know, it's um, it, you look at you have to cater for all different types of scenarios. And I feel with a lot of the you know the the, the manufacturers that are operating in the marketplace today, I you know the large ones in specific, they don't cater to that. They only want big business. But there's there's windows being missed there. You know, of 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 uh, of, of smaller companies that are trying to etch their way in the marketplace. And uh, when you add all those up, I mean that there's there's good business there. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, just kind of a final note. I mean, you obviously have a marketing background. Um, one of the things that I discovered about manufacturers is that they actually get a view into, you know, a lot of brands and, and what's actually working, you know, how those brands are able to, to, um, find their market, you know, and, and, um, successfully sell into that market. Um, do you have any, um, anything that you see working in the market right now? I mean, as we speak, it's, you know, middle of 2022, you know, these marketing yeah. techniques change and different marketplaces are better at certain times. You know, is there anything that, you know, maybe some tips that you've been able to pick up from from brands that are that are being successful right now? Yeah, hands-on tutorials. Um, hands-on tutorials and insights into the, you know, in, not into the operations, but the way things are done. Uh, I'm finding a lot of the smaller brands are, you know, getting some decent uh, 
market share from, you know, from just heavily investing their own time in social media, not outsourcing, you know, thumbnail posts or, you know, sales that they have on, although collectively they do that too. But I think where the biggest impact is, is that, you know, people want to feel connected to the brands in this day and age. And they're, they're looking for, you know, they're looking to see the face of somebody, you know, they want to see, you know, the hero in the story. And uh, I think that's working very well, especially in the cosmetic space at the moment, because, a lot of the smaller brands now that are coming up, um, they have someone as the face of the company who are uh, showing people, you know, how to use the products, um, you know, what to avoid when using the products, or maybe some of the pitfalls that they can avoid, uh, you know, using a cosmetic product that without naming competitors, you know, they, they would make it very clear what type of competitors uh, or which competitors to, to avoid the products from. I've seen all sorts of stuff, but, it all comes down to someone being the face of, of the brand. Okay. Yeah, that's a good tip. All right. Well, let's, uh, you know, we, we've been going for a while and, and what I've, what I've found, you know, just in Mark, in, um, in my journey, understanding sort of manufacturing is it's fascinating and there's so many different facets of it. Um, so before we head into the quick fire round, you know, for just uh, four, four last questions, um, has there been anything that that you found surprising about the manufacturing space, or maybe something that you've enjoyed that you didn't maybe anticipate? Yes, I think you know the thing that that that, that I've enjoyed the most out of it is just you know watching the team grow and improve and learn. Um, you know, look, it's you know we we have individuals you know even in our company who came in as warehouse operatives who are now training to be chemists. You know, so uh, I've I've really enjoyed the process of the the company growth actually putting people in a position to have the opportunity. So for me, that's been the key thing, you know, it's just watching people improve and watching the team improve. Um, that would be my 100% uh, thing that I would say I enjoy the most out of, out of the operations. Okay. Got it. Got it. All right. So uh, quick fire round. Um, what's one tool or resource that you feel has helped you the most in your current position? Uh Geez, that, that, that's a good question. We actually use quite a lot of um, quite quite a lot of different software, but I think right now, uh, what's giving me the, the 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 most benefit would be Salesforce. Um, we started using it about a year ago, mm-hmm. and um, you know we we've heavily invested in developing our in you know our, our whole environment into you know all the data going in through that. So that's really been an eye opener for me. Rather than using five or six pieces of software to get the data you need, it, it's all coming into one one dashboard now. So that that that's my uh, that's my input. <laughs> okay, great Salesforce. Um, what is one book uh, that you could recommend to the audience? Uh, Winning by Tim Grover. I think uh, for me that had a huge impact uh, out of the most recent books that that, that, that I've read. Um, I've been a huge fan of him for many many years, and uh, I think it just basically explains very well the difference between the individuals who say they're going to do and the individuals who actually do. Uh, what is uh, one piece of advice that you'd give your twenty-one-year-old self? Don't listen too much to other people because, uh, in my eyes, you know you have to protect your ears. Uh, one one bit wrong bit of information or one bit of projection of fear from someone else that, that you take on board will, you know, derail you for many years. So I think, you know, if you have something in your head, um, go for it and just don't worry about what anyone else tells you, uh, in relation to how that's going to turn out for you. And, uh, who's, uh, you know, another entrepreneur, um, in your field of work, um, that, uh, maybe you'd love to take to lunch. 
That's a, that's a good question. Um, yeah, you know, for me, um, I, I'm a huge I'm a huge advocate for personal development and especially around mindset and stuff. So, you know, I think you know, for me, it would be it would be Tim Grover because he, um, you know, look, he's worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world and business people, and uh, I think you know, within that within that uh, brain of his, he's got quite a lot of um, information that he probably hasn't even shared to this date. So I, I just think real, realistically he has the key, what separates, you know, the, the do the doers from the don't. Okay. Got it. Got it. Well, um, as we wrap here, you know, just looking at the, the rest of uh, 2022, what do you guys have coming up on the horizon that you're pretty excited about? Our product development. So, you know, look, we're, we're going to be adding between now and the end of the year, 50 new products to our line. Um, but at the wow. end of 2023, uh, we should have a, a product catalog of around 300 different products. Uh, so there's going to be a huge offering to companies in the cosmetic space. Uh, we're very aggressive in what we're trying to achieve at the moment. And uh, I'm in no doubt that the, that the team will hit those goals. Yeah. Any particular um, areas of cosmetics that you're, you guys are investing in or, or is this kind of across the board? No, well, it is across the board, but we're we're really focused right now at the moment on skincare. You know, we're doing a lot of R and D with different types of ingredients. Uh, for example, one of the ones we're working on at the moment is a is a serum and cream with bee venom. So, you know, too much bee venom can unfortunately kill a person, but uh, in the right amounts, it kind of gives it the the Botox effect and uh, without the need for Botox. So, um, hmm. you know, the, the, yeah, it's a, we're we're experimenting with that at the moment, and we you know we were able to work with a uh, venom farm that actually ethically is able to extract the venom from the bees without killing them. Um, it would be a very small electrical currents on their nets uh, that kind of uh, entice them to release the venom into 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 the trays beneath so uh it's it's a, it's a, it's not it's it's a very effective way of, of getting what we need without actually doing any harm to uh to, to them so that's one of the products we're experimenting with at the moment it's really exciting yeah very cool very cool all right and and just as we wrap here uh you know what are some final you know uh, words of advice or, or thoughts that you could share with uh, other people that are currently in the grind there you know they're they're they either have a brand or they're running a you know manufacturing facility you know what would what would your you know uh you know kind of party words be uh, to to those people i i would just say you know look i mean at the end of the day no matter what stage of business you're in, whether you're starting or, you know, whether you're, you're into your many years of, of, of developing your business. I, I think, uh, you know, just be mindful of the need for outward approval. You know, there's, there's no one that's going to be there patting you on the back through the journey. And most people who are you know listening to this probably know that already, but you know, there, the work always has to come before people will believe in the product or the service that you're offering. So uh, there's going to be many days and nights where you're going to be going, uh, hard at it where there's going to be no one to, you know, tell you you're great or to give you approval. So, um, just get that out of your head and just know that what you're doing is what you're meant to be doing because you planned it yourself. You know, you know that this is what you want to do and just keep going because eventually it will turn and eventually you will start to get people to see the potential and the value in, in what you've built and uh, that's that's the moment where things change because um, it you know it's the same process almost for everyone you know no one believes and then all of a sudden everyone believes. Hey, that's a great great note to to wrap on, and I think those are wise words for for all the entrepreneurs that are listening. Um, hey, Ryan, I appreciate you taking the time. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much. 
Thanks, Ken. I appreciate it. The Physical Product Movement Podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations, visit fiddle.io. And then make sure to search for Physical Product Movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, thanks for listening. Hey everyone, my name is Taylor Howe and I'm the marketing manager here at Fiddle. I want to jump on real quick to tell you about an incredible free resource that we put together for CPG brands. It's called Fiddle Connect. It's a curated database of over 3,000 co-packers and suppliers. You'll get websites, phone numbers, locations, categories, and more, all in one place. It's a must-have for any CPG brand, especially in the food, beverage, or nutraceutical space. And again, it's 100% free. To get immediate access, just go to fiddle.io forward slash connect. We are constantly updating the database and we promise you're going to love it. It'll save you time and headaches by helping you get to suppliers and co-packers faster than ever. So again, just go to fiddle.io forward slash connect to get free access today.